guys. Happy Easter. It's good to be together. So this week I was sitting with my daughters and they uh, asked the question, are we going to take a break from our teaching series about the table um, for Easter? Are we going to take a break? And then I found out this morning that some of you guys were a little bit confused too. We're wondering if we were going to have the meal today. We're going to have a big celebration meal next week. So there was lots of confusion about um, what today was going to be about, but we're going to continue in our series on the table or at the table. And my hope this morning is that what we will find is that it is Easter that really changes how we share the table together. So earlier, um, just now, Holly read an account in scripture about the good news when the women found the empty tomb. And they were the first ones to go and spread that news about uh, the resurrection of Jesus that first morning that we celebrate this morning. But the joy that they exhibited is, of course, a, a big shift from the emotions that they would have felt as they were going to the tomb. Perhaps best described as loss, those emotions of loss. And personally, I've been thinking a lot about loss lately, um, just kind of doing some work acknowledging my own losses in life that we all go through and we all have. Um, so perhaps that's why this morning I just can't help but try to imagine what they were going through that morning, the, the different things that they lost when Jesus died. Now, I imagine for them, they were so just stuck. It had only been a few days. Um, they couldn't even think about that. They were just at the beginning parts of the their mourning and grieving process. But for me, at my distance, I can think about all the things that they lost when Jesus died. Certainly, they lost a dear friend, somebody who loved and cared about them, who um, was there for them, that they shared life with. And if that was the only thing they lost, that still would have been deeply painful. But we also know that because they were women, they lost more than that. Um, with Jesus, they had been included. They had been invited into his ministry to learning beside men for the first time as Jewish women. They had been given proximity to Jesus and to his new kingdom that he came to bring to earth. And so if you've ever been excluded from places of influence, you know what that feels like to be invited in. And that's what Jesus did for these women. Would they be thinking, what is my life like now that Jesus is gone? Am I going to have to just go back to what life was like before him? They also were invited into this community that they shared life with. They ate meals together. It says they traveled around together. They saw miracles and lives changed changed and now all of a sudden that is gone Jesus is gone and so this morning before we go to the joy of the empty tomb it's important that we don't forget the loss that was there as they were traveling to go to the tomb to see Jesus's body and it's important for us as well that we don't jump ourselves and forget about our own losses the the things that we go through, the pain that we suffer, so that we can fully feel the joy of Easter. I know for some, and perhaps all of us, that this series in particular about the table holds a bit of pain. Um, maybe it's the loss of people you once shared a table with, or um, that family table didn't look the same for you, or uh, 
times of being excluded from different tables, whether it was as a child or um, as an adult, or just even that awkward feeling that many of us have when we sit at the table and feel like maybe we don't belong, maybe we don't fit in. So last Christmas, um, I have three daughters who are teenagers. Two of them are adults now, um, but they're still teenagers, so I can say that. Um, so we were at Christmas together, and my daughters um, had a confession for Larry and I. Um, before we were going to have our big, my, my family side, big family celebration together. So um, many of you know I'm originally from Ohio, but um, several years ago we moved to New York City, and um, my parents were the only ones left in Ohio. So my siblings, I have two other siblings, we were all on the East Coast. And so it didn't take long before my parents uh, realized their children and all their granddaughters, more importantly, all their granddaughters, were um, on the East Coast. And so they sold their house and they moved to Maryland to join us. And m my mom, um, she wanted a smaller place. So it's a fairly small um, townhouse. But what was really important for her was that she had enough room for her big antique table that um, she could put all the leaves in it and that we could still have celebrations together. And so that's what we do every uh, Christmas time. We, we get together in Maryland, and we have a meal together. Um, in fact, New Year's Day is when we celebrate together. And the meal is always the same. We always have pork and sauerkraut, as um, German, good Germans do. Um, that's the only German thing that we really we do. But, um, <laughs> but we enjoy that. And um, my daughters confess to us that not everybody enjoys this meal. In fact, it isn't the food. They love the sauerkraut, actually. They've been raised on it. Um, it isn't that. It's that now that all the kids are big, we don't all fit around the table together. And for some reason, we have just came up with this idea that the four youngest granddaughters would sit at another table kind of off to the corner. And this is especially um, annoying to my one niece, Abby, who's very quiet, but uh, she is only four months younger than my, my oldest daughter, Emma. But because she's younger for, by four months, she gets sent to that table. And what my daughters told me is she hates it. Um, they all hate it. And they just get in bad moods. They grumble. But for some reason, the adults, the parents, had no idea. And the cousins, they all knew. And they were like, please, Mom. Please, can't we make sure that everybody's at the table together? So that feeling of loss, of being excluded, is really a powerful one, even if it's as simple as being at the kids' table. Because we all want to belong. We want to be included, to be accepted. And that's what these women going to the tomb, that's what they had with Jesus. And now it was gone. So when they get to the tomb and they find these angels telling them, he is risen. He's alive. It's not just Jesus who has a new life. They have a new life as well. A life where they're invited in. They're accepted. They're included. It's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew that on their way to tell the disciples, Jesus appears to them and he greets them. And they go and they run to him and it says they worship him. The women um, stand there, and Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. Tell my followers to go to Galilee, and they will see me there. Now, I wish I could tell you this morning that 
From then on out, everything changed for these women, or maybe even women in general. Um, certainly, we do see that in the, the church that um, starts just after this, that women play a large um, leadership role in the beginning of the church um, as it spreads through Jerusalem into Asia and Europe. Um, but if you remember what Holly read in Luke, that when, he went, when these women went to the apostles and said everything that happened, they saw angels, Jesus appeared to them, the apostles said it's nonsense. Now, I'm not saying that it's because they were women, but <laughs> Jesus' acceptance, his invitation for these women to be included into his work, it really wasn't immediately accepted by all. And that's important for us to hear this morning because during this teaching series, we really focused on Jesus and how he ate meals. He sat at the table and ate meals with people that everyone didn't accept. But today, we uh, use the table for a different reference beyond just eating. To have a seat at the table is to be in a place of influence, a place where your voice is heard. And that's also what Jesus did. He gave people a seat at the table where their voice could be heard. And even though Jesus put people there, he elevated their voice. Not everyone accepted their inclusion. And this is true today as well. It's certainly true in our society that perhaps it's your social status your educational background, immigration status, gender, race, all of our differences can keep us from really valuing everybody's voice at the table. And that can even be true in the church. But it isn't true with Jesus. With Jesus, everybody gets a seat at the table. It isn't just the women that Sunday that Jesus included in the news of his resurrection. What's interesting is we see that it was really important that Peter heard the news that Jesus was alive. In the Gospel of Mark, the man in the white robe is how it says it in Mark, which we presume is the angel that we see in the other Gospels. He speaks to the women at the tomb and he tells them, now go and tell his disciples and especially Peter to go meet Jesus in Galilee. Why especially Peter? Why does he get special attention? Why is it so important that he gets this message and the other apostles aren't named? Like all of Jesus' friends, Peter would have been suffering the loss of Jesus, his friend, his teacher. But for Peter, there was a different side to his mourning. There was shame. Because he knew that just a few days before, he had denied even knowing Jesus, just as Jesus had predicted he would do. A few days before, Jesus said to Peter, you are going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no, 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 that won't ever happen. In fact, he said, I would die for you. And Jesus said, would you really die for me? I tell you for certain that before the rooster crows, you will say three times that you don't even know me. And then we see that's exactly what happens. After Jesus' arrest, we read that Peter is standing outside the courtyard as uh, Jesus is on trial, and people recognize 
Peter and say, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? And he's afraid. And he says, no, I, I, I'm not. Over and over again. And it says in John that as soon, the third time that he said, no, I don't know. I don't know Jesus. It's not me. Right then a rooster crowed. And so I imagine that Peter on this Sunday morning, he's with the other apostles, but I imagine he's kind of hiding that shame. He's grieving certainly the loss of his friends as the others are. But I think he's also grieving the loss of his self-respect, of who he saw himself as, as a leader, an important trusted leader of Jesus. But inside he knows the truth. That when his fear got the better of him, he denied even knowing Jesus, Jesus who he loved. And perhaps that's why it was so important that Peter knew Jesus is alive. We see that Peter, when he gets the news, he runs with John to the tomb. It says he runs to get there, and he sees the strips of cloth there, and there's nobody. And so they go back to tell the other disciples what they see. But we also see that at some point, Jesus appears just to Peter. He's the only one um, besides Mary Magdalene that Peter, that Jesus appears to by himself. He doesn't do that to the other apostles. And we see that in Luke 24, 34. But it, no more of that encounter is recorded for us. We don't really know the conversation. Um, but it's interesting. Why Peter? Was it actually Peter's sin? his betrayal that caused Jesus to want to make sure he was the one that knew, that he was accepted, that he was included, and he was wanted. A short time later, Jesus appears again. He appears twice to the apostles that are gathered together. And then there's this other meal that Jesus has. He is on the beach, and seven of the apostles are together, uh, Peter included, and uh, Jesus invites them in, and he's built a fire, and he, he wants to cook what they've caught, and he invites them, and he says, come and eat. Come and eat. And so he takes the bread that he's brought for them, and he serves them the fish that he's cooked for them, clearly being the host, inviting them back into that closeness that they once shared together. And in this uh, meal, at some point, Jesus takes Peter aside, and they have this moment, this exchange, where Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. Again, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. One more time. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter had failed Jesus. And when it was time for him to stand up and show his love for Jesus, fear took hold. And he lied over and over again. And Peter knew it. And he knew that Jesus knew it. So why was Jesus still including Peter, even giving him special attention? Because that's who Jesus is. 
That's who Jesus always was. That's how he invited people into meals. It says Jesus came eating and drinking. And why people said Jesus came eating and drinking is because he ate with the wrong people. The people that all the religious leaders were saying, why is he hanging out with them? Why is he eating with the sinners, the crooks, the political activists? Those are the wrong people to eat with. And those are the people that Jesus gave special attention to. And this exchange that we see between Peter and Jesus is very reminiscent of a story that Jesus tells. In fact, he tells this story when he's getting um, pushback for who he's eating with. So the religious re leaders at the time, the Pharisees, they, they are saying, why are you hanging out with these people? Why are you eating with them? And Jesus doesn't answer them. He tells them a story. He does this a lot. Um, he tells many stories, but this one is pretty well known. It's a story about a father with two sons. And the youngest son is called the prodigal, which just means that he um, spends his money uh, wildly um, without much thought. And he gives his money because he asks uh, his father for his inheritance before his father even dies, which is uh, greatly disrespectful um, to do such a thing. But the father gives the money, and the son we see goes and spends it. He goes far off, spends it wildly, and he's at a point where he's out of money. And so he has to get a job. And so it says that he gets a job taking care of pigs. Now, for you and I, that isn't an exciting job. It's a pretty terrible job. Um, I don't want to take care of pigs, to be honest. But for a, a Jewish leader, this is more than just not a good job. This is something that makes you religiously unclean. You aren't supposed to eat pigs. You're not supposed to touch pigs. You're not supposed to eat with people who eat or touch pigs. And so the son not only is doing a terrible job, but he's making himself um, unable to eat with his father ever again. And so in the story, we realize that the son, he knows that he can't be a son anymore, but maybe he can be a servant. And so he decides to go back home, and it says that the father is looking for him. He's looking and waiting for him to come home. And it says that the father runs to his son and hugs him and welcomes him back. And what does he do? He invites him to a meal. He throws a banquet, and he sits and eats with his son, his son that hurt him, that made mistakes, that made himself religiously unclean. He welcomes him to the table. Sometimes it's society, and it, this is the case um, in Jesus' day as well, the rules about gender or class that make people feel unwelcome to be near Jesus. But Jesus didn't care. He invited them, whatever, wherever you were from, whoever you were, he invited you to his table. But for Peter, and I think for many of us, we know that we don't really belong so close to Jesus because we don't have it all together. We still make mistakes over and over again. But Jesus invites Peter in. He goes to him. He's the one that goes. He makes a meal for Peter. He's the one who restores the relationship, just like we see the father do with his son. And what does he ask from Peter in return for that restoration? That Peter feeds others. Others. 
the other people that are left out. That Peter starts to invite those who need to be in relationship with Jesus to say to them, come and eat. You guys who have messed up and keep messing up, just like me, come and eat. You who've been told that you don't belong here because of how you look or what you do or where you're from, come and eat. You who don't have this all figured out, you have doubts and questions, and you're not quite sure about Jesus, come and eat. I don't think it's any coincidence that we see it's Peter that God gives a vision to later when the church begins. He gives Peter a vision of a sheet filled with animals that are unclean, that Jews were not supposed to eat and not be near people who ate those animals. And so for generations, Jews and non-Jews, the Gentiles, could not eat together. They could not share life together. And it's Peter that sees this vision and, and knows that Jesus changes everything. That now things that were once unclean are made clean and we are allowed to be together. We are in community. Paul says there is no longer Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. Those things that once separated us, they no longer matter. And so we are accepted. Jesus says to all of us, come and eat. Easter gives us all this new life together. It's because of Jesus, because of his love, because of his sacrifice and his resurrection that this morning we all hear the message, you belong here. You are accepted. But we also need to hear this morning that if we love Jesus, that it is our job to send that message as well. We need to say to people, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to follow all the rules. You need Jesus just like we do. So come and eat. Share our table. There's one other person that we see going to the tomb that morning that I, I want to talk about, um, that first resurrection morning. In fact, it says that he ran with Peter. It even says that he got there first. Um, that was important to record that he was the first one in the race to the tomb. Um, he also recorded along the way all these meals that he had with Jesus. It even says that he's the one that's sitting right next to Jesus at that last Passover meal where Jesus takes the bread and the juice and says, do this in remembrance of me. And he is at the beach there with Jesus as well. It's the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John. Um, just recording all that he saw, sharing life with Jesus and what he saw Jesus do, but also how Jesus loved him. John talks a lot about how well Jesus loved him. And so later we saw, see John, later in his life, he writes three letters. Now this is at the end of his life. It's actually one of the last, um, the later books that are written that are included in the New Testament. So m most of the other eyewitnesses of Jesus have already died at this point, and John is still living. And what he's seeing happening is that the second and third generation Christians, they're really no longer loving each other the way that Jesus asked them to love. And so John decides to write these three short letters as a way to call believers to return to their basics the basics of their faith, 
who Jesus is and how he loved. And so this morning as I close, I just want us to think about the table and our calling to invite others to join us, to join Jesus, to be near him. And hear John as as an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection, to hear his words in 1 John chapter 4, we're going to begin in, in verse 7. This is what John says. Dear friends, let us love one another. From lo- for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of this world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so, friends, this Easter morning, we join with the women at the tomb. We join Peter and John, and we say, we know and rely on the love of God for us. We know and rely on God's love for us. And that in this world, we are to be like Jesus. We are like Jesus, giving others a seat at the table, sharing our meals, inviting people in, letting them know you belong. You belong in this family. We say, come and eat. Let's pray.